welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me over to John chapter 7 as we continue on in our study here of the book of John and all that it means for us to follow and live out our faith in Jesus Christ in our life, in our workplaces and schools and families and neighborhoods. And so John chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 to 15 and then also 25 to 52. It says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples might see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not going yet, because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. And as the feast of the Jews were watching and they were People at the feast were waiting for him and asking, where is the man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man, others that he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began asking, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where he's from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own, but him who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I'm from him. And he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom he, those who believed in him would later receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. 
On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others said, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from David's family, from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, others not. But no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked, why did you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man did, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, however, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own, asked, does our law condemn someone without first hearing him and finding out what he is doing? They replied to him, are you from Galilee? Look into it you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. There was a scripture that uh, my parents had our whole family memorize when I was a child. And I've never forgotten it. It is still very special to me. It is Isaiah 53. It was written long before Jesus was born. It's in the Old Testament. But it was written about Jesus and who he would be. It mentions in that scripture how he would be rejected by the people and yet still go to the cross for our sins. I want to read just a few verses of Isaiah 53 for you because I think it fits what we read in our scripture for today and how the people rejected and often misunderstood Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, For who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet still he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that would bring us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. This is the prophecy written long before Jesus came about him. How he would come to his own, but his own wouldn't receive him. How he would come to save us from our sins and teach us the truth about God. And yet most people would despise him. They would reject him. They did not esteem him, but instead would call him a demon, as they do in our scripture for today. Jesus had to deal with this, you see. He had to deal with this daily opposition to who he was and what he came to do. This is what we read in our latest chapter from John that he is misunderstood even by his own brothers. And crowds are whispering about him and wondering who he really is. They're divided because of him. He is hated by some. He is loved by others. He is called demon-possessed in verse 20. The religious leaders are trying to arrest him and even kill him. Jesus had to deal with daily opposition. But despite the opposition, Jesus, he stayed on course. 
He wasn't swayed by the crowd over here or over there. His brothers wanted him to show off his miracles, but he wasn't about that. People tried to seize him, but he would slip away. He wasn't, it wasn't his time. He would show up again over here teaching somebody and guards. They wouldn't even lay a hand on him because they had never heard somebody speak like him. Jesus just stayed the course despite everything that was going on around him. And in our chapter for today, we find Jesus standing up, even right in the middle of the temple, on the busiest and greatest day of the festival, and in a loud voice declaring for all to hear, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He didn't even hide when they were so opposed. John is telling us in in John chapter 7 a few things here. One, how alone Jesus was. The arguments that people had against him, but also how a few people did believe that he was the Christ. One of those who came to believe in him here that we see was Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who in John chapter 3 secretly came to Jesus in the night. Now we find him in John chapter 7 speaking up publicly for Jesus among his friends and fellow Pharisees who wanted to kill the Lord. Nicodemus is saying, hey, wait a minute. Have you even heard what he has to say? Have you even seen what he is doing? Give him a chance. It's a bold move by Nicodemus for sure. Well, there's a number of things here that I want to point out that we can learn about Jesus from this chapter. One, he had a family. Jesus was part of a family. We read about that right here. We learn about his brothers. Jesus was part of a family. In a few weeks from now, we're going to get into the Christmas season and we will learn how the angel came to Mary and, and told her that she would be with child. And we'll learn about Joseph who would come alongside of Mary, Mary a virgin. So Joseph, not really Jesus' dad, but Joseph believed in the angel's word and would help raise the child. Jesus grew up in a family with a mom and a dad. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Bible tells us the family moved to Egypt for four years to escape King Herod, who wanted to kill the child. And then they returned after Herod was dead, and they lived up in Nazareth in Galilee, and that's where Jesus would grow up. Joseph was a carpenter, had a shop there, and and we, we only have one story about Jesus as a child. It's found in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is about 12 years old, taken by his parents to the temple. Um, and everybody was amazed at all that Jesus knew at age 12. That's it. Next thing we learn uh, and read about Jesus, he is starting his ministry at the age of 30. But in this chapter, John chapter 7 that we read, we learn that Jesus did have more to his family, more than just a mom and a dad. We read here that Jesus had brothers. They would have been his half-brothers because, again, Joseph wasn't really Jesus' dad. God was. But Jesus grew up with younger brothers. In Mark 6, verse 3, we learn the names of those brothers. James, who would eventually write the book of James in our New Testament, um, Joseph, Jr., um, Judas, and Simon. Jesus had four brothers, and he even had some sisters. Their names are not mentioned, but Mark 6 refers to them. So besides the brothers and the sisters, Jesus still had his mother Mary, who is alive. We read about her, already read about her in John chapter 2, in the story of the first miracle, the water turning to wine. 
But there's no mention of Joseph at any point in this. So we assume that he has already died by this point in Jesus' life. But Jesus did have a family. He had his mother Mary, and he had his half-brothers and sisters. And just to clear this up, if you're wondering, um, Jesus' brothers and sisters did not have any superpowers. They're not like Jesus. They were not God. Jesus is the one and only Son of God, his birth unique from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' brothers and sisters were just regular kids of Mary and Joseph. Jesus was not. There's a difference between them. But they were still his family. And to an outsider, like those who lived in Nazareth, they didn't know anything was different about this family. All the kids grew up together, people didn't know. Apart from the one story where Jesus was at the temple at 12 and they were all amazed at his teaching, apart from that, nobody saw anything even different. Perhaps Mary and Joseph never even told Jesus' brothers or sisters about the miracle of his birth. Perhaps Mary kept that to herself, wondering how everything would play out. But Jesus had a family. He grew up among them like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him or know that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. He didn't have a glow about him. But Jesus had a family. We learn that here. And we read in our scripture for today that Jesus' brothers, they didn't understand his mission or what he was really about. It says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, it's a little unclear what they're actually trying to do in our chapter. In verse 3, they tell their big brother that he should go to Judea uh, because anybody who wants to become a public figure needs to go make himself known. In other words, why are you hanging out in these small towns? Go to the big city. You know, go to Judea. That's where all the people are and where the powerful and the famous people go. If Jesus wants to get famous, he should go there. Show people what he can do. And so maybe his brothers think that Jesus is going to be a famous politician or rabbi. or, But it seems that they don't believe that he is the Son of God or the Messiah. That's what's implied here. And why would they believe that? They have watched Jesus grow up in their house. How could their big brother be the Son of God? How could he who ate at their humble table be the Messiah, the King, that their people had been waiting for? Of course they don't believe that. Jesus is telling us, or John, I mean, is, is telling us within his gospel that at this point, you know, Jesus had a family, but his own brothers did not believe in him or what he stood for. Second thing that I want to point out in this is that we read here that Jesus was often misunderstood. There were the people who wanted to kill Jesus, and then there were the others who wanted to make him king for their own revolution. But Jesus wasn't interested in a revolution. He wasn't interested in getting famous, sitting upon an earthly throne. He was there for a short time to speak the truth that God wanted him to say, even if people hated him for it. He was there to do what God had sent him to do, to atone for the sins of all humanity. So when his brothers want to try to push him into public office, to go to Judea to become a public figure, it proves they still don't understand him. He isn't about that. So when they all pack up for the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus tells them to go without him. It's not his time yet. And he stays in Galilee. Jesus was often misunderstood. We've seen that already. I mean, last week, 
uh, we looked at how the crowd abandons Jesus when he says he's the bread of life. They just wanted him to make more food appear, but Jesus wanted to give them eternal life. They don't see that, and so they all walk away from Jesus. Here in this chapter, Jesus is again caught between people who don't understand him and the extremes, the ones who want to kill him and the others who want to make him their revolutionary leader. Some wanted him to show off the miracles. Others are calling him demon-possessed. Some think he's a prophet. Others think he's the Christ. But even those who, uh, who call him that, I don't think really knew what it meant for him to be the Christ. It meant a cross. And, and so, so Jesus knows this. Other people don't. And so there's all these opinions swirling around about who Jesus is and what he's there to do. But it all proves that they didn't understand who he was or why he was there. Only a few people seem to get it. And I have been thinking about this this week. How tough it is when people don't understand you. Or they all have an opinion, but they don't really know you. The real you. How hard this must have been on our Savior. How alone he must have felt in that. Even his own family couldn't see. Jesus was and still can be misunderstood. I mean, lots of people, even today, they throw around his name and want him either on his side or they deny, you know, that he even existed or that he was who we all claim him to be. And there's many extremes and many opinions, even today, but who is the real Jesus? You know, John is telling us from, from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 21, we will see John is telling us who Jesus really is. He's already said, you know, he is the word made flesh. He is the light of the world. He is the lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He is the son of God. Come to give us eternal life. He is the living water, he said to the Samaritan woman. He is the daily bread, he said uh, to the crowd of hungry people. He is the great I am who walks on the water and calms the sea. He is what Peter confessed in the last chapter when Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God, the Christ. I go back to Isaiah 53 where it opens with who has believed, you know, who to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them as a tender shoot at root out of dry ground. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who can see him for who he really is? You know, there are times in our life when what God tells us to do, you know, may not be understood by others, may not be supported even by our own family. But but we know we believe in our heart that we're supposed to do something. And it may be something that the world won't accept. You know, in, in these moments, we can feel alone and like misunderstood. Well, let us think of Jesus in those moments. He knows what that is like. Very few understood him. But in prayer, he remained true to who he was and what God had sent him to do. He would do it, even if alone. Maybe we can find some comfort in that. Jesus is our example of perseverance and faith and obedience to God. He stayed the course, even though people all around him 
didn't understand me. I was also thinking today how people still misunderstand Jesus. There are those who hate the Lord today. Man, they hate the name of Jesus, even though he loves them and he came for them. They hate him maybe for the same reasons that they hated him back then, because he tells them their deeds are evil. <laughs> he does that for all of us, though. We're all sinners. He tells us when we're disobeying God, but not because he hates us, but because he loves us. He wants us to be free of that sin and to know God intimately and to walk in obedience and to know of his forgiveness. And yet so many in this world don't see that. They just want to do what they want to do. And, and so they hate the very one who came for them. But then there's the other side in those today who, who speak about Jesus, they preach or they post about Jesus but I read those posts and I hear those words and sometimes I wonder, which Jesus are they even talking about? He seems to affirm their beliefs and agenda but and seems very political and militant the way they make him out to be and hateful and judgmental to these particular people and, and yet he seems to be affirming everything that they are and, and yet when I look at the Jesus that they're presenting, it just doesn't seem like the Jesus that I find in the Bible. And yet they're speaking about him and seem to claim him. And, and it almost seems like they're making Jesus into their own image. Like those back then who wanted Jesus to do what they wanted. But do they really know the real Jesus? Are they quoting him correctly? And so today I was even thinking, you know, I mean, Jesus is still misunderstood today. I think that's why it's so important for us believers to really get to know the true Jesus. The one that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's important that we would do what Nicodemus tells us to do in the very end of this chapter. To really listen to what he said, to truly hear it, and to examine what he did, to truly see it. Before we make some judgment call about him, first study the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus himself say? And what did Jesus himself do? I bet if we did this, the Holy Spirit would show us the truth and move us to follow the true Jesus in our life. Again, I repeat Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. He grew up before him as a tender shoot, like his root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by most men. He was a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men even hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that would bring us peace would be upon him. By his wounds, we would be healed. Do you know the real Jesus? He was often misunderstood by his own family, didn't understand his mission, by the people around him, the religious people, the crowds, the mobs. Yet he persevered in what he had to say, what he had to do for our sake, his eyes always on that cross. Another thing about this scripture I just wanted to mention is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
This was an important festival done every year. And I, I just learned this week that the Feast of Tabernacles was also significant to the coming of the Lord, the Messiah. There was something prophetic and foretold that is playing out in our story that I didn't know before this week. The Feast of Tabernacles, you see, would happen every year around the fall harvest. Tabernacle means tent, and so the people, what they would do is they would put up tents in their backyard for a week, and they would live in those tents to remind them of how their people in the past would live in tents in the desert of wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land. But on the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would all gather at the temple, and they would give thanks for the blessings of God. And the final day of that festival, the priest would stand in front of them all. He would walk up the steps towards the altar, and he would pour water on the altar. And he would pray for God's blessing to come. And he would read every year Isaiah 12, 3, where it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then the priest would pour that water out. And this scripture and ceremony was done every year on the last day of the festival. And so what do we read in our scripture for today? In verse 37, it says that on the last and greatest day of the festival, this day, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me for a drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, referring to that Isaiah passage, streams of living water will flow from within him. Salvation will come to him. In that moment, Jesus is declaring himself to be that water poured out upon the altar for all people. He is declaring himself to be the great high priest. That prophecy of how the joy will come to those who dwell from the wells of salvation. Jesus is fulfilling it. He is offering it. He is speaking about himself. He is speaking about the Holy Spirit. He is speaking about salvation has now come to all who believe in him. He is the water being poured out upon the altar. He is specifically connecting himself to what is happening in that moment, the prophecy that was written about him. And in response to this, it says in verse 40, some thought he was a prophet, others the Christ, and others still did not believe. And it says the people were divided over Jesus. This was a powerful moment. Jesus is standing up and declaring who he is and offering salvation to the people. And even though most of the crowd doesn't believe him or see it, some people do. We read here, for example, that some of the temple guards do. They're supposed to be there to arrest Jesus. And yet, they don't. And when the Pharisees ask why they didn't, they said, no one has ever spoken like this man. Something inside of them sees the truth. And how courageous of them to not arrest Jesus, but to say they truly believed he might be the one. But then there's also Nicodemus. When all the Pharisees are discussing how they're going to kill Jesus, and they're saying no one of us who is educated really believes in him, only this uneducated mob, Nicodemus raises his hand and says, wait a minute, I'm one of you, and yet I, I see something to this man. Let's give him a chance. And so even though in this chapter we see all of those who misunderstand him and all of those who don't really believe in him, we see a few start to stand up and say, hey, I kind of do. Temple guards, Nicodemus. How awesome is that? But then the last thing I want to point out that I think is so relevant here to all of us in this chapter is the way Jesus speaks about time. <clears throat> 
God's timing. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus tells his brothers that he's not going to go with them to Jerusalem now because the time has not come for him. Jesus, in prayer, knew the timing of the Lord and when God's time was. In verse 30, we read another example of timing. It says that after Jesus preached, the crowd turned on him and tried to seize him. But in verse 30, it says no one could lay a hand on him because his time had not yet come. This scripture seems to indicate that God is protecting Jesus from premature death. God is sovereign over all things happening in his time. And then verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I got to go back to the one who sent me. Here, Jesus seems to say that he knows the life and ministry that he has on earth is going to be just short, you know, and it's true, Jesus would never grow old. You know, um, his time on earth would be brief. In fact, he only would do ministry for three years and he would die at the age of 33 on a cross, just a young man. Jesus says here he knows that. He knows that his time on earth is short. And I think that kept him very focused, not uh, rushed, but very urgent and intentional about how he spent his short amount of time. You know, I bring up the topic of time because I think time is truly a gift that God has given to all of us. And the Bible is clear that, that all our days were ordained before one of them came to be. God is sovereign over time. You know, so not just for Jesus, but for our lives. Everything we go through, you know, there's a time for it. And it would be good for us to pray and to seek God's timing in our own life and the purpose for our life. Sometimes our time, you know, is not God's time. Our way is not his ways. And so to really walk with the Lord and be a prayer to seek his timing on things. Maybe even to remember that our time is also short. You know, even if we live 90 years, I mean, we're spending it. The time goes by fast. And so are we spending our time on the things that God would want us to spend it on? Ecclesiastes 3 says God has a time for everything, a season that happens for everything under the sun. Galatians 4.4 4 says, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, to redeem the world. At just the right time. Boy, God's got a plan for the time. I've used this example before, but when I was graduating college, the youth pastor at our home church, he left. And so that, that position opened, and I just thought, man, this is perfect timing, you know, for me. This is my job. I'm supposed to do this. And and then I didn't get the job, and I struggled with that. Why? It just, but now looking back, it wasn't my time. It wasn't God's plan. Thankfully, I didn't get the job because it was God's purpose for me to learn, to go to seminary at that time, and to study and to grow. And during those years, to meet Carrie and to get married and become a pastor, God knew the plans he had for me and the time. His time is perfect. Jesus could see this too. He prayed about God's timing. He saw how God protected the plan that he had for him. And I am 47 now. And that didn't really hit me until my daughter got married and moved. And, and now I realize, boy, I'm 47. And that's not super old. I'm not saying that. But it's also not young either. And so today I'm thinking more about time than ever before. I'm thinking about how quick time passes. I'm thinking about whether I'm doing everything that God wants me to do with the time that I have been given. I'm thinking about the seasons of life as they go through so quickly. The singleness to marriage to having kids to jobs and, and time passes. 
And it's a gift. I think about my son who's in his senior year, my wife in our 22 years married. I think about finishing up my 12th year now in this church this spring. I, I think about the time that I've been given, the people I've gotten to know. Jesus knew his time was short. The world philosophy about this is live it up because you don't got a lot of time and do what you want, be happy. But, but Jesus teaches a little different of a way. You know, still have joy and enjoy the life that God has given you, but also know that you are here on this earth a short time to do the will of God and then to return to God. So live wisely. Numbering your days, building up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Stay focused and prayerful. Don't fall into the traps on either side, but be swayed, not by the crowd, but by the will and the purpose of God for your life. Jesus is our example for that. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Enjoy the time that God has given you and stay on purpose. Know him, the real Jesus. Get to know the real Jesus. Follow and believe in him. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.